Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Rev. Dale Cohen. Now, we don't need to pretend that loving our neighbors is always easy. Uh, Maybe even if we had neighbors like this. When Greg Jennings' home in St. Peter's, Missouri was suddenly raided by the local drug task force, which found no drugs, by the way, he assumed the anonymous tipster must have been his nasty neighbor, Kathy Hesterberg, with whom he'd already had several run-ins. He came up with a plan, though, to get her back. Ms. Hesterberg recently installed a a motion-activated camera on her house that focused on Mr. Jennings' front yard. Well, all night long, he would go out and dance in front of that camera in nothing but his boxer shorts. (laughs) And when he got tired of doing that, then he would just walk around with a cardboard box on his head. And when the local news heard about this and they interviewed Miss Hesterberg about it, they said, you know, does this behavior bother you? And she said, well, he only does this because he knows it makes the camera beep in my house every time he moves, and he's just doing it to annoy me. Now, I don't know about you, but I think these two folks deserve each other. But as bad as that was, I think this one takes the cake. A man in Maine strategically cut his neighbor's garage in half with a sawzall after a dispute over their property line. Gabriel Braun and his neighbor, Blake Ritter, argued over the location of the property line until finally Mr. Braun had a couple of surveyors come out and both confirmed that Mr. Ritter's garage was partially on Mr. Braun's property. And that's when he took the sawzall and just cut it down the middle and removed the half that was on his property. Well, Mr. Braun's wife said, we're also putting up a fence because fences make good neighbors. At least that's what we've learned from this. Well, I want the record to reflect that neither of these incidents occurred in Alabama. We're continuing our series on Love Your Neighbor, and today we're talking about finding common ground. There's so much polarization in America today that divides people into us and them that it makes it hard for us to be neighbors. In an article in Relevant Magazine, Dan White wrote these words, Polarization takes people with something in common, emphasizes their differences, hardens their differences into disgust, and turns their disgust into blatant hatred. It creates two sharply contrasting groups and pits them against each other, shaping us for only two options, our side or their side. It is a suffocating social arrangement. Polarization is described in the Bible as the struggle between powers and principalities. And this is a reference to Ephesians 6.12 that says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In his book, Engaging the Powers, Walter Wink, a New Testament scholar, wrote that these principalities and powers are the social dynamics that separate us from others in our community, separate us from creation, and ultimately even separates us from our Creator. Wink says that this separation is a manifestation of the enemy, who is also personified as Satan. And what Ephesians describes in the 12th verse as this present darkness. The enemy has an agenda to divide and destroy us. And when successful delights in turning us against each other, making us feel that demeaning each other is more practical than kindness. If we look at this from a psychological perspective, Carl Jung's research in the last century revealed this, that maturity and human development is moving beyond polarized thinking and embracing the necessary tension and complexity inherent in life. Polarization, he concluded, doesn't result from informed thinking. It results from emotional regression. Jung even said that often when we're in a polarizing situation, we act more like children than like adults. Living with diverse perspectives requires maturity. One of the most counterintuitive teachings that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount is where he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then, as if that's not enough, Jesus said, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, please understand that when Jesus talks about this perfection here, what he's talking about is that we must love completely and unconditionally in the same way that God loves us. That's perfect love. And for those of us who want to claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is a pretty high bar for us to meet. So, how can we meet such a lofty goal? Well, Jesus doesn't expect us to be free from disagreement. However, He expects us to refrain from harming one another when we address our differences. In his prayer for his followers in John chapter 17, kind of his farewell instructions, Jesus prayed this. He was asking God, I ask not only on behalf of these who are my disciples, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through the disciples' word, that they may all be one. What Jesus is emphasizing here is that how we interact with one another impacts our witness. In a couple of weeks, I'll teach how God expects us to handle our differences. But today, I want to focus first on the things that we have in common that we need to 
always keep before us. Our scripture reading that Emily shared just a moment ago gives us three crucial things to keep in mind. First of all, we must never forget we are all sinners in need of God's grace. I'm no better than anyone here. And this may come as a surprise to you, but you're no better than me either, at least in God's eyes. We all are sinners who miss the mark in our relationship with God and in our relationships with one another. This shared state is common ground that we always need to keep in mind. We get in trouble when we start focusing on the sins of others and neglect reckoning with our own. We read earlier, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Whatever standard of perfection we expect in others is the standard to which we must live or be judged. With that being the case, I'm going to extend as much grace as I can to everybody because I know how much grace I need. And so I'm going to set the standard of being gracious first and save judgment for someone else. And to reinforce Jesus' point, he continued, Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, Let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Often, the people who are the most condemning of others have a deficiency of love, not only for those that they condemn, but also for themselves. They seem bitter about everything, And while they pretend to be righteous, they're often compensating for some darkness within, either consciously or subconsciously. So if we possess a critical spirit, then I think it's important for us, rather than pointing out the flaws in others, to first do a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And I believe that's what Jesus is telling us in these verses from Matthew. I need need God's grace as much as anybody. And the more I stay conscious of that fact, the more likely I am to see others as equals and treat them with respect. Since we are both saved by God's grace, then maybe we can put down our guards and quit honing the edge of our arguments and actually have a conversation together. The second area of common ground that I think is important for us to keep before us is that we are all created in God's image, and therefore we should treat each other with mutual respect. When I disagree with someone, that's the first clue that that person can teach me a valuable lesson about myself, about the world, and even about God. 
if we're curious about why someone thinks the way they do, then as we learn more about their perspective, although we may not change our minds, we may learn from what they're sharing with us that enlightens us a little bit more about our own viewpoint. The heart of the golden rule is a willingness to affirm that we should treat other people with the same respect that we expect from them. Jesus said in the Golden Rule, and everything do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Now you remember that this is the second time that Jesus used this phrase, for this is the law and the prophets, because when he was asked about the two greatest commandments, he said, there, about the greatest commandment, he said there are two. The first is love God with all your heart, mind and strength and the second is love your neighbor as yourself and he said all the law and prophets hang on these commandments well Jesus is giving that same conviction here when he says in everything do to others as you would have them do to you for this is the law and the prophets he's saying that the purpose of God's law and all the proclamations of the prophets point to our need to treat each other in the way that we want to be treated. John Wesley and George Whitfield were great friends while holding different theological perspectives. Wesley was an Arminian who believed in God's universal love for all humanity, leaving the choice to accept or reject God's will to human free will. Whitfield, on the other hand, was a Calvinist who believed in God's limited atonement reserved for those whom God elected or predestined to receive the gift of salvation. And on this point, they were in bitter disagreement. One day, one of Whitfield's followers went to George Whitfield and asked the question, inferring that Wesley might not make it to heaven because of his errant theology, he said, do you think that we'll see Mr. Wesley in heaven? To which Whitfield replied, oh no, a mere mortal like I would never be as close to the throne of God as a man like Wesley. Whitfield allowed that both he and Wesley would be in heaven despite their theological differences. But then he added a word of deep respect for Wesley, indicating that in his eye, Wesley's faith in God exceeded his own. So, our common ground is that we're all created in the image of God. And therefore, we should look for how God is working in the lives of others, especially those with whom we disagree, so that we might find that place of common acceptance. Well, the third area of common ground is that we must recognize that we're all doing our best to get this life in Christ lived out as faithfully as possible, but it's likely we are all getting at least a part of it wrong. I have this image that when we get to heaven and we stand before God, and 
if I happen to be standing there with someone with whom I've had some theological disagreement that I'm going to want to say, okay, God, settle the score for us. Tell him I was right. And if I'm that presumptuous to do that, I think that God is likely to say something like this. Well, you both did the best you could, and you got some of it right, but on the things over which you disagree, you're both wrong. And I can say this because in 1 Corinthians we read these words. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also, no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. It's pure hubris on our part if we think that we can fully understand God's perspective on everything. And even more, it may be detrimental to our standing with God to assume that we do. Because, again, from our reading for today, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who behave lawlessly. Now, I don't think that the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that we have anything to worry about. As I said, we're all saved by God's grace. But I think the point here is that we can put on all the external piety that we want, but if we don't have love in our hearts, then our external piety amounts to nothing in God's eyes. One of the most important lessons for us to learn is that if we think that what we believe can't be wrong, then it's not faith, it's knowledge. And what did Paul say in the love chapter about knowledge? He said, knowledge will pass away. He said, now, you know, Faith is eternal, as is hope and love. But the greatest of these three, he said, is love. So if what we believe makes us unloving toward anybody, we're on dangerous ground. We're not following Jesus' commandment when he said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And again, it's that unconditional love that is the standard to which we're called. Jesus commanded us to love one another because we need each other. That's the most important common ground we have. I need you and you need me whether we realize it or not. And even when we disagree, we may need each other even more. The question isn't which one of us is right. 
The question is, are we still making a difference for the kingdom of God? One day the disciples were concerned about some people who were doing ministry similar to what Jesus and his disciples were doing, but they weren't part of Jesus' closest disciple group. And here's what the scripture tells us happened. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. We may not agree on everything, nor may our beliefs line up completely. But as long as we're pointing people to Jesus Christ, we're doing God's work. Loving our neighbor means finding common ground on which we can build a relationship and then see where God leads that relationship, even if we don't end up in the same place. But at the core of these three areas of common ground that I've shared with you is a spirit of humility. Apart from a humble spirit, We exclude God, and we exclude one another. And in a lot of ways, we even exclude ourselves because we won't allow ourselves to learn and grow. So if we want to know how to love our neighbor, then maybe it's just as simple as living with humility and respect and see what that does for your relationships. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.org.